presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. We're back. That's right, we are. We're back here on the air at WBSM, Spooky South Coast. Once again, live, coming to you over the radio airwaves. And what a show we have lined up for you tonight, because tonight... We weren't really expecting to be on the air. We're a little bit surprised that the uh, St. Louis Cardinals pulled off a huge World Series win. Uh, We thought for sure this series was going to go 6 or 7 and that we wouldn't be on the air tonight. But that being said, we are here to speak with you about your Halloween memories, your Halloween remembrances, uh, and just... Anything at all that you want to talk about related to the paranormal, we are ready to discuss. We're going to talk a bit about the history of Halloween. We'll talk about Costa's Crypto Creature of the Month, which is kind of funny because it's uh, the month's over in a couple of days, but it'll be the first chance we've had to talk about it, uh, which is the Jack-O-Lantern, very festive for this time of year. And uh, we may have some special guests joining us later on in the program as well. So all kinds of things happening, but... uh, if there's anything that happened while we were off the air and uh, you were unable to listen to the podcast version of Spooky South Coast on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. And, of course, we are now uh, on about six more different podcast websites. So if you do uh, get your podcasts uh, other from, from other places from where we usually put it up, uh, keep checking. Uh, I'm trying to think of what the other one, PodcastPlanet.com. Uh, there's just a whole bunch of them and more and more are signing up every day because... They like the idea that uh, we don't charge any money for these podcasts. They're totally free. Uh, we, we edit out the commercials. We edit out the, you know, because we can't put commercials up on a lot of these sites because, you know, it's advertising rules and everything for these sites. So, But, of course, uh, there, nothing beats the live Spooky South Coast. Right, guys? You got it. All exactly. Right. We have the Silent Assassin. For those of you who don't remember, the Silent Assassin, Matt Costa, is the producer of the program. He works the boards, he runs the computers, he comes up with all kinds of crazy uh, sounds and crazy uh, audio montages. Uh, all the audio work that you hear on the show is his work. And uh, on the other side of the table, we have science advisor Matt Moniz. W- what is it that you do again? I'm just kidding. If, if it wasn't for him, you know, we, we'd have zero legitimacy. He is a, a longtime paranormal investigator. He is a uh, chemist as well, and he is... He's the source. If you need to know anything, he's the man to ask, and uh, he's willing to answer all your questions, 508-996-0500, 508-2910-500. How do you like that? I still have the phone numbers memorized. And so if you have any paranormal experiences you'd like to share, any remembrances that you'd like to share of Halloween memories, good or bad, it doesn't have to be anything uh, bad. It doesn't have to be anything scary. Uh, scary is better, as far as we're concerned, but... You know, if you just want to share some of your experiences, for those who didn't hear last week's podcast, uh, we did go to the Lizzie Borden house, and uh, we poked around there with some listeners, uh, one from California and one from New Hampshire, and uh, we we had some experiences there, so be sure to check out SpookySouthCoast.com. You can read up on that and 
you know, if anybody wants to call in and share with us anything that happened to them while they were there, uh, you can do that as well. So meanwhile, uh, first I'm going to ask Matt if you can just turn that fan off, please, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. Because that's kind of a... Uh, watch, you'll notice. Big difference as soon as he shuts it off. Thrilling, riveting radio. That'll work. There you go. See? That's a huge difference in the headphones. All right. So, uh, Matt, what, uh, in, in, we don't want to call it a hiatus, but, uh, why don't you let folks know what you've been up to in terms of some of these, uh, investigations that you're trying to put together, uh, for the future? Well, one of the first ones I want to try and get back to is back to the Lizzie Borden house because of the incidences that we had there. And even though we weren't really planning on doing an investigation that just fell in our lap, it gave me enough impetus to basically want to go back and really thoroughly go through the place with significantly more equipment and uh, a more planned out approach. And also uh, you're planning hopefully uh, to get back down to Louisville, Kentucky Yes. For a more in-depth investigation down there. Right. I would like to do the follow-up to uh, the primary investigation that I did so I can finally conclude my uh, report. So, and for those of you who have seen Celebrity Paranormal Project, the new program on VH1. Now, Matt, I know you haven't had a chance to catch it yet unless you caught it this afternoon. No, unfortunately not. I was pretty sure that they were going to rerun it a thousand times uh, between uh, the first and second episode. So uh, I'm sure... uh, Every 15 minutes, they're probably starting it on one of the VH1 channels, so you'll be able to catch it, I'm sure. But uh, unfairly, I think, I, I kind of came on the well the podcast last week, and I, I unloaded upon this show, and I said, you know, here is a show that it sounds you know, like it's going to be very uh, – just not take the paranormal seriously at all. They're throwing a bunch of celebrities into a haunted location – armed with you know ghost hunting equipment but no knowledge of how to really use it and so i thought it was just going to be a big farce and they were trying to mix the paranormal boom with the celebrityality program that they do and to some degree that is the case uh, uh, mindless 51 entertainment i believe is the name of the company that's producing it they're also the same company that produces flavor of love and some of these other vh1 shows that we've all seen so it's you know, the legitimacy of the paranormal just didn't seem to be there for me. And I forgot to check the credits to see who they list as a consultant in the field, if anybody. Uh, but I did uh, have a chance to exchange emails with one of their segment producers. And they did put a lot of, uh, in a little, a lot of background work into creating the show. Uh, it is, like I said, it, I said last week, it sounds like it's a copy of the old MTV show Fear where they basically threw some people into a haunted location with cameras strapped to them so they could you know, shoot themselves while they're doing this investigation. But the purpose of MTV's fear wasn't to prove or disprove hauntings. It was to see what the people's reaction was to that fear when they're thrown into these situations. And it's similar to what they're trying to do on this show. Uh, I mean, It's throw- a psychological rather than a scientific type of approach. I mean, that is the main overall idea of the show however they do claim to have captured evidence on film uh it's not like anybody's coming out and saying you know we have proof that waverly hills is haunted look at this but they came to the conclusion that it is indeed haunted now i still haven't gotten an answer to some of my questions uh some of the footage i wonder if it's been doctored 
uh, for example, they're standing in the hallway. I believe it was Donna Derrico of Baywatch, and she's standing in the hallway of the fourth floor. And meanwhile, Gary Busey is in one of the surgery rooms, and he's whatever. Surgery rooms on the fourth floor. Yes. Is there? There are surgery rooms on the fourth floor. Yes. Okay, I wasn't sure if I was mistaken in the floor. I, I was pretty sure it was the fourth because I, I think they limited the investigation to the fourth and the fifth floors. And then, so he's in this uh, surgery room. I guess at the at the very end, kind of like yeah, where you caught. Very, yes, at the very end of the building. And so he's in that room. They were in there together, and some weird stuff started happening. And basically, there's a computer. And uh, for those who haven't seen it, I'll explain it a bit as I'm explaining it to Matt Moniz. There's a what they did is the celebrities showed up at Waverly Hills. They had no idea what they had signed up for. They had no idea what the program was all about. That's why they brought in these celebrities that are constantly on these VH1 programs. I thought it was because, you know, it's like, let's throw Hal Sparks and Gary Busey into something else. But it's actually because they figured that these were people that had already worked with VH1 that would be like, yeah, sure. Everything else I've done for you guys has been fun. Why not? So they would show up there with no idea of what it is uh, that they're doing. And then once they did get there, Gary Busey, which unbeknownst to me, I guess I just fell off the turnip truck. He's a very religious individual. Well, not only that, but he's very into the paranormal. He's made some films about the paranormal. He, uh, he, he has a couple – he's friends with Dr. Lewis Turry. You know, so there's all, he's part of this – the culture of what's going on here, and he's very knowledgeable about it. Hal Sparks grew up near Waverly Hills. He'd always heard the stories, and even though he's not a paranormal investigator, he had an appreciation and an understanding for the paranormal. He wasn't there to – he was there to make jokes, but not about the subject matter. And then there was uh, somebody from America's Next Top Model, uh, Jenna Maraska from Survivor, and Donna Diarico. So they show up at this trailer outside Waverly Hills, and there's nobody there to lead them. I, I'm assuming there was a cameraman. Because there w- these weren't all hidden camera shots or stationary camera shots. There was some handheld stuff. So they have they must have had some production people there anyway. But there's nobody there to instruct them as to what they're supposed to do. They walk in. There's some equipment and there's a computer. And the computer runs a, a, a video for them of what they're going to be doing, you know, the map of the place, where they're going to investigate. And then when they go out into the building, they go in teams of two, one, you know, one group at a time. And somebody else stays behind as like the field commander. And when they get to a certain point, they'll play over the speaker, over the uh, walkie-talkie, what the computer is saying to them so that they have an idea of what the mission is while they're out there. And one of them was, uh, you know, to uh, Hal Sparks had to go up to the fifth floor to the day to the sunroom, and he had to uh, drop some balls and see if, you know, any of the kid ghosts would start messing around with them. Uh, they had to go up. And, I mean, it was there was some cheesy, cheesy stuff. They had to go up into the, what's it, 502? Yeah. Where the nurse hung herself, supposedly. And they had to recreate the hanging because, of, because according to the program, recreating how the person died draws out its spirit. Okay. That's, yeah. That's uh, one of the ones that was new to me. There were a couple others that were new to me, uh, like, you know, you have to determine the heart of the haunting. If you can determine the heart of the haunting, then you can figure out you know, what exactly is going on, and I, I guess that gets you closer to solving the mystery of it. I've never heard of this. I mean, and I've read some books. You've actually gone out into the field, you know, for many, many years, 
Have you ever had to determine the heart of the haunting? You you might determine the cause of the haunting. Yeah, I mean, if I'm not sure what they mean by heart of the haunting. You have to find the the one room, the one portion of the building where the, the entire haunting emanates. Greatest from. activity. I guess so. I mean, are they looking for from place to place? That can vary, and uh, you can have a room that'd be active on one day, and especially in a place like Waverly. A whole another section of it active on another day. Yeah, I mean, I just didn't understand the the idea behind the heart of the haunting concept. But I mean, I suppose for a television show, it makes sense to have some sort of conclusion, because excuse me, at the very end of the show, they had to go into the the room that they just thought was the heart of the haunting, and they had to uh, Hal Sparks had to channel the ghost or something. I mean, they got everything in there. They got spirit writing in there. Uh, they got. Uh, Trying to think of what else. Any EVPs? You know, I don't. Here's the problem: they brought in equipment with them, but they didn't use it. They didn't know how to use it. They weren't trained on it. You know, so then when they walked in, they said, "You know, there's EMF detectors there. You know, there's different uh, investigative equipment. I'm sure they had digital thermometers and, you know, uh, maybe Geiger counters, all the stuff that you bring with you on an investigation. But they didn't know how to use them, and therefore they didn't use them. I don't know if it was." if they were supposed to just bring them with them and use them while they were walking around. But at least that I could see, there was no gathering of evidence except for personal experiences. And if this show is intending to prove any kind of haunting, that's not going to be good enough. I mean, I want some corroborating evidence while they're out there. And I just couldn't believe that uh, they would invest the time and money of putting this equipment in there and not at least you should have somebody there when you first go into this trailer that, you know, shows you real quick, hey, this is an EMF detector, here's how it works, this is what it might mean. Was this not on the computer? No, not that I saw. It might have been, and it was edited out. I mean, maybe they felt that it's not important to the viewer. Um, I, I don't know. but uh, Just to leave the equipment there and not give them any idea how to use it, that's Yeah, it, it, it's exactly. I mean, I didn't, I mean, an EMF detector is pretty simple. To figure out yeah, how to relatively use. simple. But even I didn't know what I was doing for sure. I mean, I had it, and I was like, wow, big readings. You're like, no, no, don't swing it around like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, just something simple like that. So uh, I thought that maybe that could have been addressed a little bit more. I mean, then again, this is only the first episode, and it was edited down for, for time, so we don't know what went on. But they went through the building, and they went through these little assignments, and then they had to determine the heart of the haunting, and they had to sit there and figure out – you know, which room was the most haunted, and they determined 502. That's what they ended up going with. Uh, and it was really just, there was a debate about whether or not it was the, I think, the fourth floor hallway or 502. Because in four, in the fourth floor hallway, that's where they supposedly saw shadows. Donna Diarico saw these shadows going up and down the hallway and saw them walking toward I her. I can and, verify that those are definitely there on the fourth floor. And she could hear but here's what bothers me is the camera captured these. Uh, you'd be looking at the screen and there'd be like a little sh shadow running across. Now, is that an actual documented video proof of a shadow person? Or is it just a little editing effect afterwards? I would have to see it. I would have to. I'm just going to guess that it's the latter. Okay. But uh, we, will, we will talk to the producers a little bit more. We'll see if we can get them to well, join us. Like I said, I, I was on that floor and uh – uh, Joe can verify this as well. You you do see what appears to be short or shorter type of dark outlines, see, for lack of a better term, 
going darting up and down the hallway. These were full. These were full sized, taller than the average man shadows that Donna Diarico was seeing, at least from her. Taller. Taller than the average man. She said they were very tall. But then again, you know, like you said, you'd have to see the footage. My question to you, as somebody who has uh, both investigated and researched Waverly Hills, how much of this stuff that we hear about Waverly Hills, I mean, we did a whole show on it, so I, I already know the answer. But for those listening who may not have heard that episode of our program, you know, how many of these haunts are actually verified and traced back to real people? Uh, the nurse story, the nurse that hung herself. That has been traced back to an individual. To an actual person? Yes. Okay, because they were giving well, the, they're giving a name. They're, yeah, there there is a record of this, yes. And they're giving a name uh, of that person. Apparently there was a doctor uh, who uh, whose spirit is wandering the fourth floor. That one was new to me. I hadn't heard that there was a doctor that was wandering the fourth floor. Granted, all these spirits that are there, 63,000 people. Who yeah. passed through those doors and passed away, you know, some of them are going to be doctors, but it's just so much of it seemed over dramatized, and I just I, I don't know what effect that will have on the paranormal field. I think looking at it, there's people who are serious about the subject matter, such as our wonderful listeners, are not going to be sucked into the celebrity version of paranormal investigating. They'll watch it, they'll be entertained by it, they'll be interested by it, it'll generate some buzz. But they're not going. They're going to take it for what it's worth, right? And, and I think if future episodes pan out similar to the way that the first one did, the general public too will gain more of an appreciation for the paranormal and not turn their back on it because it essentially it did not make fun of it. It did not discredit it in any way. It, it seemed to take it in a serious vein and just from what you're saying, it also doesn't really validate it much either. No, but. I think that you don't have to validate it per se to the uh, to the average p- person, the average uh, VH1 viewer is going to watch that and say, gee, there might be something to this stuff. Let me go online and look it up and Google search paranormal. And then they're going to connect with a group like TAPS or they're going to connect with, you know. Um, Capers. Or, caper, yeah. or, or just in different subject matters, you know, they might find a website about UFOs. They might find a website about shadow people. They're, they're going to realize that there is a lot of these stories out there and then they might look at it more into the scientific end but if it's a you know an entertainment based television program that gets them into it hey it doesn't matter you know we say all the time it doesn't matter what it is that brings you into this field as long as once you're into it you you stay true to it you know what i mean yes i do so that's my little rant on my rant from last week (laughs) and (laughs) And if uh, if you saw Celebrity Paranormal Project or any of these other television programs that are popping up, there is that new one on the Sci-Fi Channel, Sci-Fi Investigates, which you know we can get into that one as well because I I, I also have some issues with that program as well. Uh, and if you'd like to share your thoughts on any of these, please give us a call five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred five zero eight two nine one zero five hundred for Wareham and the Cape. And if you can't get to the phone but you can get to the computer, log on to SpookySouthCoast.com, and you can sign up for our message board there and post your questions in the live show chat. We will take them there as well. So, And as I said, we may have some guests coming on with us later on. We're a little bit uh, su- happily surprised to be on the air live tonight, so we'll try to work that out as best we can. And also we will share with you some of the history, some of the facts behind Halloween that you may not have heard before. And uh, we'll also share with you uh, more of our Halloween memories as well. So stay tuned. 
We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. Hey, this is Doc Bradley, Pinhead from the Hellraiser movies, and you're listening to Spooky South Coast. And keep listening, or I'll tear your soul apart. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast, this pre-Halloween edition of Spooky South Coast, where we're going to talk to you about Halloween and some of the fun Halloween stuff that's happening. And joining us on the line right now is John Stone. You know him as Stoney, uh, down at Knuckleheads on right off Route 18 in New Bedford. Uh, what's the actual street, John, that it's on? Well, hello, it's MacArthur Boulevard, Tim, okay. 85 MacArthur Boulevard. Okay, so, and, and you've, you know, you've been down there for how many years now? Uh, close to three years we've been at this uh, address and this location. Uh, for those for those who have been down there you know what a great place it is uh, just the atmosphere down there is always nice always welcoming uh, and you know it's it's generally a nice straight normal crowd except for on Halloween you're gonna have some freaks in the house absolutely uh just let the listeners know I've been collecting some old carnival uh, artifacts that have been around in shows for over the years um, some of it's paranormal uh, actually um, and it's uh, yeah, it's it's just good old fun. It's uh, come on down. I mean, if you've been to some of the old carnival and freak shows when you were a kid, you might recognize some of the stuff. Um, it's free um, to anybody that wants to come down. It'll be after eight o'clock um, once the kitchen closes. We're gonna have uh, set up in the back room. I'll have uh, authentic Bali music, which is what they called it when you went to carnival and you listened to it over these old loudspeakers. Over mm-hmm. used to play old eight tracks, and you know, come inside. It's alive. I have a- uh, actual recordings from that from over. 50s and 60s, and uh, and then I have some of my uh, material that I've acquired over the years. Um, and actually, one of the pieces I have is uh, is actually paranormal. It's the um, mummified hand of Mamba Shanta, who was a famous voodoo witch of Haiti. And uh, I picked that piece up from the uh, New York Paranormal Institute Museum. And what are some of the stories uh, surrounding that piece? I mean, what are some of the reports you've heard? Apparently, she um, she cursed the town, and, and anybody that's coming, you know, and it was a, she was a very high priestess of uh, Haiti, and people that were doomed that came to her from cursing the town uh, back in the 1800s. And it's, it was I, I, what they did apparently back then is they just they kept their arms from different villages, and it's been passed all over the years, and it finally ended up at the uh, New York Paranormal Institute. And unfortunately, they had uh, they had financial problems, and they got rid of a lot of their pieces. And I was happy enough to acquire it. Um, and are you going to have an actual like a carnival barker out front trying to get people to come um, in? Yeah? Well, we I mean we have different things going on. I mean I mean if I can I, I can um, I can probably do that. I'm uh, I'm pretty uh, well equipped <laughs> to do that. I've uh, you know I followed things over the years, and uh, you know I mean we don't have any live acts of so people are looking for that. Well, we don't have that. Um, it's just basically oddities and curiosities um, that I've acquired over the years, uh, shrunken heads and, and just different. You know, there's all different stuff. Now, isn't I'm pretty sure isn't there a law in Massachusetts now outlawing freak shows? Is that true? Um, with actual li- with actual live people, I mean. I, to be truthful, I don't think so. I mean, um, they've been trying to do that for years, actually, and it, it kind of hurt the industry because a lot of those people enjoyed it. They, they, they really didn't have another avenue to fall on, so that was their bread and butter. 
And, you know, with the uh, political correctness, I mean, people were looking down on them, and they were really the people that were hurt the most by it because they really couldn't go out and find other work. It was um, something that, you know, that they could do. And, um, you know what I mean? And, and if you exactly. talk to people in that industry, they were, they, they kind of it hurt them more than anybody else. I mean, they weren't really offended by it. Uh, I mean, I remember years ago, and it's kind of funny that I went to the uh, – the fair down in Marshfield, and they had a, a woman, you know, an oversized woman, and she was sitting in there. She was eating chocolates and watching soap operas, and you just went and you st- stared at her, you know, and you paid a dollar, and it was like, but she didn't seem to mind. You could talk to her, have a conversation, and she she enjoyed her life, you know. And, and you know, for a lot of those people, like you said, that was their community. That was their acceptance. Oh, and- as, I mean, absolutely. I mean, um, I, I mean, Coney Island still has it to some extent, and Jim Rose takes the show on, but it's not really so much as freaks. It's more like uh, people that do different types of acts, you know, the sword swallowers and the fire breathers and what different, more stunts, more like a, uh, like a jackass type thing, stunts that they do. It's not like, uh, you know, JoJo the Dogface Boy or, uh, you know, uh, you know, things like that. Those, but- you really don't see those much anywhere anymore. I mean, the last place that really had that was a Brockton Fair, and they—I mean—they even kind of—they've uh, stopped over the years bringing stuff around. Uh, they they bring different animals around, two-headed calves and stuff like that. But uh, as far as the old the old um, seeing actual freaks, um, that's pretty much a thing in the past. And, and, you know, it is, like you said, political correctness that's killed a lot of that. But at the same time, too, it's almost like as we've become med- medically more aware of what some of these conditions are, we've absolutely. been either to either cure them, Ab- reverse them. Right, or- sure, absolutely. I mean, like, the, you, know, you know, the pinheads and that, you know, that's a condition that, you know, most, and most of them were, they were conditions that people knew, but um, they were rarities and people had never seen them before, and they would take them and bring them around, you know, and, uh, and show them off. I mean, and I'm sure there was, you know, back in, you know, whenever um, – I'm sure there was mistreatment, but I mean, over the years, I mean, especially 50s, 60s, and 70s, I mean, that was bread and butter for a lot of places, so they were treated quite well. I mean, you know, everybody, you know, you watches the, you know, the elephant man, and that was, you know, obviously he had that, that uh, condition, and they saw he was treated. I mean, I'm sure back then, I mean, things probably weren't, you know, as they were, but, you know, as it got into the 50s and 60s and 70s, I mean, I mean, that was money for the people that were, you know, doing that, yeah. so... We went from you know being able to point and stare and question to having to pretend like we didn't see it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and um, you know it's it's kind of weird. I, I don't understand. I mean, they had the show on HBO was bringing it a little bit back to like the Carnival. I don't know if you're aware of that. Oh yes, yep. Um, but um, matter of fact, one of the one of uh, I don't know if you listen to Howard Stern, but one of his old um, faithful people would call was called Bigfoot. He was trying out for the part and he passed away for it. Oh, really? He was able to go on it, but um. That they did do a good job uh, with that show of portraying the human side of a lot of these characters, but they also sure. had a, a supernatural element to it oh, as well. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it was a yeah, it was it was a pretty it was out, out there show, and I'm sorry they took it off the air. I mean, uh, yeah, they didn't really give it a fair enough shake. No, absolutely. But I mean, um, and then there's the there's the Todd Browning film too, Freaks uh, from 1932. Not, yep, I've I've watched that movie a few times, and actually, some of those people they would they did work for P.T. Barnum. Um, and they worked for different shows over the year, um, you know, different areas, different acts that went around the country. Uh, P.T. Barnum was known for that. Actually, I have an exhibit that's uh, called the Fiji Mermaid, and P.T. P.T. Barnum made tons of money off the Fiji Mermaid uh, exhibit um, over the years. And I have, I actually have um, a Fiji Mermaid that used to be shown in carnivals across the country. Um, they had different, they had different types of acts and freak shows. They had pit shows and uh, they had the grind shows. And uh, I don't know. If you know, some of your listeners are aware of what the difference is. Um, a pit show would be you'd go into something, you know, into a tent or a different area, and you look down. They usually have like a huge snake or a giant rat or you know, different things like that. Or they'd have uh, 
Uh, a girl, girl called Ika, and they, which, and they throw live chickens at her. She'd be the wild woman from Borno. Uh, they just have, you know, you, and you'd stare down into the, into the pit. Then you'd have the grind show where they'd have, uh, usually they had like dancers on the stage. They stopped that pretty much, I would say like in the 60s, but back in the, like they showed on, uh, Carnival, they'd have the girls come out and they'd, uh, do their dance and they'd have different acts. You'd go from one stage to another. Yeah, they had what they, what they called the blow-off. You'd pay uh, 50 cents to get in and, and see the girl shaking on the stage for a few minutes, and then if you wanted to go into the blow-off to see them actually take it all off, it was like another dollar. Yeah. They, After yeah, you'd they, already uh, seen the 50-cent show. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it was always an angle. It was always a work, you know what I mean? And the, the Bali guys, that's what they would call it. They, you know, they'd get you in, and they'd, you know, they'd work you over. And, you know, it was it's all in good fun. I mean, for the most part, you know you're going to get beat, but, you know, that was that was always part of the uh, illusion, you know, and the attraction of it. Um when I was a kid, they had a, they had a big uh, carnival come down on Brock Avenue. I'm from the South End, and they had, you know, we they'd have like a size 28-foot shoe. And, you know, and you go in there, some giants. I mean, they'd have all kinds of stuff. Uh, an octopus opening up a uh, you know, treasure chest. And, you know, they'd have it all written in Latin or Greek or some language that you didn't know what it was. It'd be telling you that you were getting beat, you know. But you knew you were, and it was all, it was all the fun of it, you know what I mean? And, uh you didn't complain too much about losing your dollar or your 50 cents, you know, to go into it. But uh, I'll never forget at the Brockton Fair, peeking under the tent to see the two-headed calf. And one of the, oh, heads, yeah. one of the heads was paper mache. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> well, actually, I mean, I mean that, that was something that, I mean, that's a human art. I mean, that's not, not obviously, like, that's an animal oddity. Most of those were live. I mean, um, yeah, and it, it, it happens. Happened, but, oh, absolutely. It still but, happens I mean, today. I mean, you can, I mean, you you'd get beat left and right. You know, electric girl, 10,000 volts passing through her body. I mean, they had so many different different acts and a headless woman and uh, you know, but it was it was all part of the fun of the show. Uh, I, I think you probably remember the one at the, at the Brockton Fair was uh, the, the drug addicted. Uh, yeah, Billy something you know, or other. Billy whatever. And that 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 act actually started off as uh, Oofy Goofy back in the eighteen hundreds. They go from different t- towns back then, and they go to uh, they rent like a sheriff's uh, sellout for a week or a couple of days, and they. Uh, they throw, they put some bones and bones in there, and they charge the people to go in, and they be banging off the cages and rattling and and going wild, and you know, and they just go from town to town. I mean, it's been going on forever. I mean, uh, you know, as far back as time, they they bring people around. As a matter of fact, I was watching the I don't know if you saw the movie House of uh, Frankenstein with uh, Boris uh, Karloff, and that's how it starts off with Professor Lampini. He has the uh, Dracula's uh, bones, you know, and it's a house of horrors, and he's bringing it around with a. A two cot thingy from town to town, and uh, you know, I mean, it's been, it's been, for, I mean, forever. They would bring different, you know, different acts and different shows, and uh, you know, little people around with them, and uh, it, it really is like a lost art form. I mean, there was such oh, a, oh, absolutely, there was absolutely. a skill involved in being able to sell it and being able to perform it. If you, yeah, absolutely, if right. you weren't already, you know, afflicted with one of these anomalies, to be able to go in there and create a character that you could con the public with, right? You know, it's, it's acting to the highest degree. And some of those, like I said, those acts have evolved over the years into like that Billy, whatever they call them at the time. And, you know, bring your children in and see the horrors of drug addiction and you bring them in and they'd be going wild in a cage, you know. And uh, that's just basically that same act that evolved from back in the old West times. You know, they just brought it up and they've brought it over the years and they just keep it going and freak shows a too often. Freak shows always just seem to reflect whatever is going on in society at the time. Whatever, whatever is going to shock society, whatever is going to be against the the mores and the values of society, that seems to be what they're going for. Absolutely, and uh, it's you know most of it's all good fun. I mean, I you come down and you can, like I guess so they come down Tuesday. I'm not getting up. I'm not paying. Uh, there's no cover charge. It's free. You can come in and, uh, and check out the different oddities, which which is what they have. I don't have any live acts, so. 
Well, but, um, we'll we'll have one live act down there. We're going to send Matt Moniz down there. He's an oddity himself. So <laughs> <laughs> that that that'll draw a crowd. They'll be yeah. like, "What's wrong with that guy?" Oh, that's just Matt Moniz. <laughs> I work for Food Stony. <laughs> that's okay. Come on down. As long as you drink some beer, you're good with me. So, but uh, yeah, we'll have yeah we'll have a good time. Come on down and uh, you know, hang out and uh, and that's it. I'm, I got a good night tonight. I get shipyard playing down there right now and. One of our, one of our favorite, one of my favorites, uh, definitely for sure. That's my buddy James's band. Yeah, Big James. Yep. So. Uh, and uh, and so it's Tuesday night uh, after eight o'clock. Yep. At eight, eighty-five MacArthur Boulevard. Yep, eighty-five MacArthur Boulevard, right behind Dunkin' Donuts, off of Route eighteen in the South End. And there's. So I hope to see everybody there, and hope to see you guys anyway. All right, and we will talk to you then. So, if we don't if we don't run into you, if we're uh, too overcome by the uh, oddities and we run out screaming, we want you to have a happy Halloween. Same to you. Hope you guys have a good time, and thank you very much for the interview, Tim. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, anytime. Okay. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very okay. much. Yep. Bye. Bye. That is John Stone, Stoney, the owner of Knuckleheads down on 85 MacArthur Boulevard. He is going to have, like you said, you know, a little freak show trying to keep the spirit alive for Halloween, and we recommend that everybody goes down there and checks it out, not only because... You know, it's a great place, and he's a great guy, and he's definitely going to make sure he puts something on for the customers that they'll enjoy. But to help keep this alive, I mean, do we have to be so politically correct that we can't see something that is odd and unusual and say, yes, that is odd and unusual? And and I don't feel bad for feeling uncomfortable seeing this. You know what I mean? I mean, you guys growing up, uh, you know, we've all gone to the fairs and, and uh, the carnivals and all those type of things. I mean – did you have that desire to go into these tents and, and look at these things? Was Even if you were a kid and your mom and dad wouldn't give you the quarter to go in, but didn't you want to go in and see what they were all about? Of course. Yeah, definitely. And, and it's that curiosity that's basic in us. You know? it's, you're not a sick person for wanting to look at it. Look at some of the films that we watch. Look at some of the subject matter of the television programs. and you know, We'll watch a show, uh, for example, like on FX, you know, Nip Tuck. It takes a lot of hammering in the press. Uh, my wife and I watch it, and every year, probably the third episode of the season, we look at it and we say, oh, this show, it's just so wrong. Why do we keep watching it? We're not going to watch it ever again. But then the next week, we'll make sure we record it and we sit down and we watch it again. Because we want to be able to see these things that are outside of our comfort zone, that are outside of ourselves. And we want to, if you don't look at these things and examine these things, then how do you know who you are? How do you know what it is, you know, that is your limits of taste and, and and personal comfort if you don't expose yourself to things that make you feel uncomfortable? That might just be my theory, but in other words, you you live the ostrich approach to life. You stick your head in the sand and you don't you only see what you want. You've been watching television, haven't you? You've been watching local television. <laughs> there are some people that cannot open their mind up to the possibility that there is something else that they don't understand, but that's a show for a different time. We'd like to hear your Halloween stories and your, hey, why don't you call us up and tell us about your freak show experiences, you know, the strangest thing you've ever seen or or maybe one time when you got ripped off and you paid a quarter to get in and you said, oh, that's phony. You know, we'd like to hear it. Give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And, of course, anytime you want to talk about anything to do with the paranormal, ghosts, aliens, UFOs, Bigfoot, cryptozoology, theories, Anything like that? Spontaneous human combustion. Are you uh, ask? Are you bringing that up as a subject matter, or are you proposing the possibility that it might happen here tonight? No subject matter. Okay, because uh, I'm feeling a little bloated. 
My wife made a nice dinner, so I might spontaneously combust <laughs> myself. Oh boy! All right, it was uh, it was actually like a Mexican beef and rice type dinner. <laughs> so okay, well, well you the, definitely would be. Well, did you want to turn that fan back on? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the gastrointestinal humor uh, never ceases on Spooky South Coast. So, but uh, one of the other things too that I wanted to talk about and touch upon a little bit tonight is some of the upcoming newspaper stories that you can read related to Spooky South Coast and the paranormal. Uh, I'm pretty sure that if you look out the window, guys, right now, I'm pretty sure they're having a costume party uh, at the establishment next to us. <laughs> I just keep wow. seeing people walking into the building wearing stranger and stranger ensembles. So, wow, I'm going to assume that it's a, a Halloween party. So. Moniz, why don't you run over there and tell them to put the radio on WBSM and all those people can call in and, and listen to uh, to Spooky South Coast. I can do that. <laughs> we'll do that during the news break. But uh, for now, we want to let people know some of the stories that are coming out. Uh, and Matt Moniz was interviewed recently by a, uh, a little dirt rag you might read every once in a while called the Boston Globe. Yep. Yeah, I'm saying that facetiously, of course. Uh, Boston Globe, a uh, longtime employer of my parents, so... And uh, <laughs> and so you were interviewed ab- about the subject of uh, ghosts and mainly Freetown, haunted Freetown and the Freetown State Forest. Um, I was referred by actually Chris Balzano. And uh, was it a serious interview? Was it was the interview? Uh, it was definitely a serious interview. It was done in the context of you know here's something that's definitely going on and. I gave him the basic history of uh, the Freetown State Forest and the paranormal event, the types of paranormal events that have happened. Uh, I found myself mainly quoting from Chris's stuff. Uh, you know, him and I have read a lot of the same material. Mm-hmm. He's definitely would be more of the expert in that than myself, although I'm familiar with the area. I've been to the area growing up out here and stuff like that. Seen a few things of my own out there, but Chris is uh, definitely – one of the foremost experts locally. And if you want to check out Chris's site, it's uh, masscrossroads.com, the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads. And on his site, you can find a link to Chris Pittman's site, which is the definitive Internet resource for all things related to the Bridgewater Triangle, which is uh, you know something that I'm working on a story on uh, for the Standard Times. We're going to have a, a piece running uh, before Halloween on the Bridgewater Triangle, some of the stories coming out of it. Uh, some of the theories of what it actually is all about. And I had the chance to talk to both Chris Balzano and Chris Pittman uh, this past past couple of days. One programming note for those listening. Uh, next Saturday night, we are going to be talking to Stan Gordon about UFOs and... Kecksburg and, and actually Bigfoots. And all kinds, just all kinds of subjects because Stan is very knowledgeable. And joining us in the studio that night will be special guest host Chris Pittman. So if you have any Bridgewater Triangle uh, experiences or questions or anything you'd like to share with him, be sure to call in next Saturday night because Chris will be here. I know he'll have a notebook and a, and a pen in hand and ready to take down all these reports and, and catalog them on his website because we, you know, we talked a, a great deal about how over the last uh, almost a decade now he's kind of gone away from being a paranormal investigator and become more of a folklorist, more of a historian for these reports, partially because uh, of his own reasons to to get out of the field and just partially because the massive amount of work required in cataloging all of these stories. Everybody has their experiences and their their, uh, investigations that they've performed, and 
but somebody needs to serve as the centralized location for all these reports, and that's what he's doing. And he he does a great job. And I'd, I'd give out his website, but it's a, it's a long website. It's an AOL member site. So actually, at the um, Monster Mash in uh, Mufon Conference. Uh, host John gave him a URL site. Uh, if you want, I'll give that link to you, and we can post it up on our board for Absolutely. people to look it up. Absolutely, yes, because John a much simpler URL. John is uh, John is definitely entrepreneurial. He is uh, he's a hell of a guy. Yeah, and he sees uh, URLs as uh, like stock, you know, yeah. and, and he commodities. Has literally hundreds of them. And that's the way to go. So luckily he doesn't have SpookySouthCoast.com. That one is ours, although he'd share if he had it. So uh, if you go to that site, you can find a link to Chris's site as well. And uh, so we're going to have a story on that in the Standard Times. Also in tomorrow's paper, I believe tomorrow's paper, we're going to have a story that I wrote on fear junkies, people who are addicted to fear, people who not addicted to the idea of, you know, they want to live in fear, but people who get off on the adrenaline rush of Fear people who will run in the direction that other people are running from. So, uh, and I talked to Steve Gonzalez uh, from Taps, uh, former New Bedford resident, and I talked to LL Soares, a horror writer out of Boston who uh, also grew up in the Whaling City, as well as Chris Balzano and and a host of other people uh, as well for for the story. And if you, maybe you are one of these fear junkies, maybe you get off on that adrenaline rush, maybe you just surround yourself with the horror lifestyle, uh, for whatever reason, uh, you know the, the. I guess the gothic lifestyle would kind of play into this as well. Not because it frightens you, but because other people could be frightened by it. Uh, you know, people who rush out to see every horror movie, people who read uh, horror fiction, people who subscribe to you know different paranormal magazines, people who are paranormal investigators. All of these people kind of fall under the umbrella of the story that we are trying to write not saying that they're no, no not trying to blanket them all into saying that they're all you know getting off on this because you know for a true paranormal investigator the adrenaline rush doesn't come when you are overtaken by the fear the real adrenaline rush comes when you get solid proof and evidence that you can share with yeah. others and they can't refute it <laughs> yes so and just like with any other science so what we did is we kind of exposed some of the myths about some of the these people, and also, you know, talked a bit more about the the science uh, of it, and we were we were fortunate enough to get a uh, an actual psychologist and uh, life coach uh, by the name of Dr. Michael Hodosh. Uh, we were able to get him to talk with us a little bit about the actual behavioral effects of fear, and he brought up a very interesting point. He said that uh, it's not necessarily the uh, actual experienced fear that is what gets people. It's more the anticipatory fear. It's the uh, everything leading up to whatever it is that you're afraid of. Uh, as he put it, you know, the, the scariest ghost that you can imagine is going to be ten times worse than the actual ghost that you encounter, which I thought was an interesting point because, you know, when you think about it, I mean, yes, you can run into uh, – Situations, especially dealing with the demonic, where it's way more powerful than you thought that it would have been, that right. where it catches you by, you know, you think you're investigating. Catches you off guard, yeah. Yeah, you think you're investigating something simple, and it turns into being something so much more. But for the most part, the initial fear that you have getting into the field has got to be worse than what you actually encounter. And, and Steve Gonzalez is talking about how uh, you, you start off 
when you go into a home, you listen to the reports, you start walking around trying to debunk things before you even really get into the heart of the investigation. And he said that that, too, kind of helps subside some of that fear because, A, you're getting acclimated to the surroundings, so it's less, you know, boo in your face. The other part is you're rationalizing what you've got around you, what could be, and trying to use it as possible explanations for what you have or could be seeing. And it instantaneously puts you in that mindset of, you know, not real, debunking. And and so you're less likely to jump to conclusions as well. You know, not every creaky door or shaking bed or – all right, now I'm describing (laughs) what we talked about last week. But, you know, it it just – it was really interesting the different points of view that we were able to get out of the story. And I like the direction that it goes. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it if it stays, you know, as it was written. Uh, there was a study that I saw that shows that these certain people also have a gene that makes them predisposed to this. Really? Yes, I can look that particular study up for you. Before I wrote the story, I thought <laughs> I thought you would find it or would know about it. If you want, I can acquire. No, it for I don't you. do research. I'm lazy. No, I, I do. <laughs> I just call up and quote people and let them do all the talking. I don't do any research. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But yeah, there is a gene that is easily tracked and marked that you can what I, I i tried not to get too much into the science of it uh only because i'm only given so much uh space for the story but uh there is a whole wealth of information out there and i definitely think this would make an excellent show topic uh maybe sometime we can explore it in the future and we can get some of these people who really do just get off on this stuff and i'm talking you know not just the paranormal investigators not just i'm talking you know, the quote-unquote weirdos, the sickos, the people that just, you know. Hello. <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> but, well, let's see, ice skate, dive, scuba dive, you know, all, all the crazy well, that's, extreme stuff. I mean, that's one of the things, too, that we uh, tried to differentiate in the story uh, is, you know, people who get off on fear or people who are, you know, uh, approach fear – we wanted to specify, you know, it is this fear of the unknown or fear of the uncomfortable. We didn't want to, because the story could start ballooning into, you know, uh, paranoia, phobia, you know, all these. We're talking about the thrill rush, the things like what you're talking about. So, And maybe you are one of those people. Maybe you want to call in and share uh, with us some of your experiences. Uh, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. We're coming up on the news in a few minutes, but on the other side, we're going to give you, yes, it's back, the week in weird. It is here. It is ready. We have some very good stories. We'll also talk about uh, some of the things that are happening around here. Uh, Tomorrow, there's going to be a psychic fair right here in the city of New Bedford, and we will talk about that in the second hour as well. We still might have some other guests joining us on the line, and of course, we'd like to hear from from you as well. I'm thinking, too, with, uh, with Halloween coming around, you know, maybe we can actually uh, get some people on the phone uh, that want to tell us about, you know, the different uh, community organizations out there that are putting on these haunted houses, these hay rides. I know that there was a, a parade in Wareham that was supposed to happen today that's probably postponed to tomorrow from the rain. You know, just some of these community and civic... And the flooding. Yeah, well, it was... Uh, I definitely live on an island. I sure as hell did today. It, did you have to actually row to get a... Actually, get yeah. I'm not surprised. <laughs> So, I mean, and if there's any of these community or civic events taking place, you know, the, the not-for-profit stuff, and you'd like to call in and let people know about it, uh, our, our phone lines are open so you can share that information with us. 
and uh, you know, just looking forward to the Halloween in general. I mean, it's it's my favorite time of year. It always seems like I get way too busy right before Halloween. I don't have time to enjoy it. I don't have time to go out and get a costume. I don't have time to, you know, put together the haunted house that I want to do for all the kids that come and go trick or treating. So, but now having my own little boy and he's going to go out in a costume and trick or treat kind of gives me, you know, and a built-in something to do, something to celebrate the holiday. But that's how I celebrate the holiday. That's what it means to me. For other people, it has totally different purposes. For some people, it is a religious holiday. For other people, it you know it's just as holy as Christmas is to to uh, Catholics. And for some people, it is, you know, just a reflection on, I guess, well, you can say the harvest time, but I mean... It's, right, it's one of the oldest holidays known to man. And and we'll get into all of that in our number two, some of the history of Halloween and the history of jack-o'-lanterns with our of our very own cryptozoologist, the, uh, the silent assassin, who is uh, pretty silent tonight. Yes. You don't have anything you want to share with anybody? I wouldn't be silent if I said something, though, would I? Well, it's we could change your name to the doesn't talk as much as the other two guys, assassin. I mean, that's not as catchy, though. It's not, no. And you can't uh, put that on a T-shirt. Speaking of which, I, I'm working on something. I'm working on uh, a new possible deal to get some uh, some stuff done for the. I know people keep asking about it. They want the Cylon Assassin T-shirt. They want the Science Advisor T-shirts. You're not getting my face on a T-shirt. I'm sorry. There's copyright images with the Standard Times logos and all that kind of stuff. I'm just kidding. I'm making that up. But, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, so we're going to try to work on something uh, and see if we can get some of those designs out there. Meanwhile, we're also working on getting some new hats as well. So we'll uh, keep, stay tuned to our website because we don't want to start using the airwaves as a commercial for ourselves. But if you keep checking out SpookySouthCoast.com, once they're up and they're available and they're ready, we'll have them up there for you as well. So, like I said, we're coming up on the CBS News, and on the other side, it'll be the Week in Weird. It'll be some information about that psychic fair, uh, just some other stories we can talk about kicking around in the paranormal realm, and, of course, the haunted history of Halloween. So you want to make sure that you come back here with us and join us on the phones, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, and uh, I'm going to try to... During the news break, if it's all right with you, go see what's going on at that Halloween party over there. What do you think? I'm game. Well, somebody's going to stay behind and run all the equipment. Well, and I don't know how. That's the wonders of automation. You can just leave it. Really? Yeah. Set it and forget it. The question is now, could we automate the entire second hour? Is there like a Vincent Price voice in there that can just run the show for us? No? Sure. I can find something. I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can come up with something. And uh, while we're on the uh, subject of uh, automation as well, uh, there is automatically for you to download the last month's worth of Spooky South Coast. Uh, well, as many shows as we did. We did a couple. Uh, if you go to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, you can catch up on the shows you may have missed. Also, uh, it's on iTunes, PodcastPlanet.com, PodcastPickle.com, Podcast.com, Podcast.net and podcastalley.com, amongst many others. So we'll be right back with our number two following the CBS News here on Spooky South Coast. I'm knitting myself a hat. And I'm sewing up a head to wear it on. Nippets.com. 
I'm making myself some mittens. And I'm stitching my fingers together to keep them warm inside. I'm knitting myself a sweater to cover the body I'm wearing. Knitting! 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 more of Spooky South Coast. Great googly moogly. Number two of Spooky South Coast, and I'd like to take this time to say hello to all of our friends uh, coming from the Fairhaven High Homecoming Dance. Hope uh, nothing paranormal happened to you. You know, Fairhaven High does have a long history of being haunted. Yep. Uh, my father went to Fairhaven High and told me a couple of stories of friends of his that had seen a few things. And of course, there was a, I just read something recently, too. Uh, I forget where exactly. I don't think it was in the Standard Times, but uh, maybe on a website somewhere where... Uh, oh, it was uh, Penny Penny Dreadful. Uh, her website uh, was discussing uh, some different paranormally haunted areas, and, and she was telling me that she recently talked to the people over at the Millicent Library, and they're still swearing that it is not haunted. So keep that in mind, but still judge for yourselves. They're going to kill me for saying that. You know they are. But uh, maybe you do want to attend a psychic fair, as we were saying in the first hour, and if you do... Hey, you have the perfect opportunity tomorrow because Crystal Expectations, located at 854 Brock Avenue in the city of New Bedford, is having a psychic fair tomorrow. It'll be an all-day event with a palmist, a dream past-life psychic interpreter, a spirit reader, that's a person who contacts dead people, and of course, tarot and astrology readings, and of course, you can get your readings done right by Gary down there as well. Uh, there'll be $30 for a half-hour reading, and this whole event will be going on from 12 to 5 tomorrow at Crystal Expectations, located on 854 Brock Avenue. And if you would like to find out more about Crystal Expectations, you can go to their website, crystalexpectations.net, or you can give them a call, 508-990-7898. And, of course, tell them that you heard about it on Spooky South Coast. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to get down there tomorrow because, as we're seeing on the news right now, uh, Red hour back, the patriarch of the Celtics uh, dynasty uh, passed away today, so I'll probably be busy handling that. But if I can get out, I will swing by the psychic fair, and I invite uh, people to uh, use their psychic powers on me. I'm, I can be very influenced very easily, especially That's uh, true. especially by these that. two guys here. They can <laughs> they can get me to to fall for just about anything. But I'm, I'm really interested in 
you know, some of these different approaches to, you know, psychic abilities and, and psychic phenomena, uh, not everybody looks at it from the same point of view. There's different, uh, I don't want to say powers, different abilities that people can utilize uh, that is kind of like the extra sense that, you know, that extra eye almost uh, being opened. So there are these different approaches, and maybe there's one for you that you never realized. Maybe you said, oh, gee, you know, all this tarot stuff, I don't really go for that. But then you go and you find a channeler or you find a palmist or there's somebody else that has that avenue of what you can connect with. So it's worth going down there and checking out because it's it's probably your best opportunity to experience all these different disciplines in, in one sitting. Yes. At the very least, it'd be entertainment. Oh, absolutely. And, of course, Gary and TJ are super people. And you just want to go down there and check out their store anyway because, you know, if you're listening to this show, then there is something at that store that is definitely going to intrigue you. And, you know, you may find a new avenue to pursue. You may find a, a new book about something you didn't even know about. Great book selection, yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's it's probably the best paranormal and metaphysical book collection I've ever seen for sale. I mean, I've seen people's collections that they don't want to share with anybody, but right. <laughs> for sale, and, and you can build yourself quite a library down there as well. So swing by and let them know that Spooky South Coast sent you, and uh, hopefully we will see you down there. Also, we talked a bit in the first hour about the Celebrity Paranormal Project, and I forgot here written on my notes that I have what tomorrow night's episode is about. Tomorrow night, supermodel Rachel Hunter, comedian Godfrey, Baywatchers, they have a lot of Baywatch people on this. Baywatchers, Tracy Bingham, workout video guru Tony Little, you know him, he's the guy with the gazelle and long ponytail and got in a car accident. And Survivor winner Ethan Zone, who, you know, if you aren't up to date on your Survivor trivia, which, you know, why wouldn't you be? Everybody watches Survivor. Uh, Ethan Zone is actually, I think, married or engaged to Jenna Maraska, who was on last week's episode of Celebrity Paranormal Project. They're going to visit New England and stay overnight at an abandoned asylum for the criminally insane, which I believe was in Connecticut. The team investigates the story of Nell Marley, a patient at the asylum who claimed to be possessed by a dangerous entity named Pearl, an entity that eventually drove Nell to commit suicide. It's no joke when Godfrey defends. Uh, it's no joke when Godfrey descends into the tunnels and turns stone scared, leaving Rachel behind to face the ghost of Pearl alone. By the end of the night, Tracy's fear jeopardizes the team's chances of completing their investigations. So they might not be able to find the heart of the haunting. So stay tuned uh, to the Celebrity Paranormal Project every Sunday night on VH1 at 10 o'clock. And, of course, uh, ubiquitously all week long, especially next week with uh, Halloween upon us. And so speaking of Halloween being upon us, now is the perfect time for us to get a little weird with something we like to call... The Week and Weird. And you know, Matt Moniz, you might as well give up your paranormal investigating career. Oh, why is that? Because science has taken a bite out of the myth of vampires and ghosts. This story written by Seth Borenstein, AP science writer. It may be the season for vampires, ghosts, and zombies, but just remember, they're not real, warns physicist Costas Ephthimayu. Obviously, you might say, but Ephthimayu, a professor at the University of Central Florida, points to surveys that show American gullibility. We use the word belief. He uses the word gullibility for the supernatural. Using science and math, 
FMIU explains why it is ghosts can't walk among us while also gliding through walls like Patrick Swayze in the film Ghost. That violates Newton's law of action and reaction. If, you're going to have a field day with this when I'm done, aren't you? Oh, you have no idea. If ghosts walk, their feet apply force to the floor. But if they go through walls, they are without substance, the professor said. I, even I'm going to stop there. Ghosts don't walk. Uh, so which is it? Are ghosts material or material-less, he asks. Zombies and vampires fare even worse under FMIU's skeptical microscope. He looked at the most prominent child-turned-zombie case that zombie aficionados cite. The 1989 case of a Haitian 17-year-old who claimed he who I'm sorry who was declared dead and then rose from the grave a day after the funeral and was considered a zombie. The boy who never died but was actually paralyzed and could com- could not communicate had been poisoned with toxins from a relative of the deadly Japanese pufferfish. Later research showed. Aftermaya takes out the calculator to prove that if a vampire sucked one person's blood each month, turning each victim into an equally hungry vampire. After a couple of years, there would be no people left, just vampires. Uh, yeah, we're definitely going to go back to all this. I, I, I should have read this more carefully before I read it on the air. <sighs> he started his calculations with just one vampire and 537 million humans on January 1st, 1600, and shows that the human population would be down to zero by July of 1602. All of this may seem obvious, but to FMIU and other scientists, the public often isn't as skeptical as you might think. He points to the National Science Foundation reports showing widespread belief in pseudosciences, such as vampires, astrology, and ESP. Kind of weird that you'd lump those three together. More than one in three Americans believe houses can be haunted, a 2005 Gallup poll showed. More than 20% of Americans believe in witches and that people can communicate with the dead. We'll break this down one line at a time. TV shows such as Medium and Ghost Whisper are popular. Uh, his paper is an archive is in an archive awaiting publication, either in the Journal of Physics Education or the magazine Skeptical Inquirer. Well, they're going to publish it. University of Maryland physics professor Bob Park, author of the book Voodoo Science, said scientists have to keep telling the public what seems all too obvious. There are things that we need to point out that are crap. Park said. So we will uh, we'll leave it at that. Seth Borenstein, I don't blame you at all. You're just reporting the story. Uh, this story is without bias in terms of the way that the writer handled it. But uh, we can break it down and look at what the F, uh, what Costas F. Thamayu is saying. Now, he is a physicist. Now, you guys don't mind if we jump into this. I know it's the week and weird. And, you know, but let's, your leisure. Let's, uh, let's break down some of the inaccuracies in what FMIU is claiming here. Now, the whole idea of ghosts being able to walk but n- n- would not be able to walk through walls. Ghosts don't actually walk, do they? Not in the traditional sense of what you and I would consider walking. They don't have physical mass. Uh, not really. They have an energy mass. Well, that's different, though. An energy mass is different because the energy... Uh, and energy can pass through walls. But energy can also interact with... I'm sorry, I'm getting echoey here. En- energy can walk down... You know what it is? It's doing that. Turn that down a little bit. Number three. That's causing the echo, I think. Does that does that make sense to you? No. Okay. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Listen to me. I'm telling I'm telling him what to do. There. Let's try that. That's real professional. But 
you know, this energy that of ghosts being able to walk, they don't walk, though. They don't actually walk physically making impressions on the carpet because they are an energy. They would just go through that floor. No, ghosts have left footprints. But is it an actual process of putting a foot down? You know what I mean? Or is it just leaving an impression? Uh, when I was at Waverly, one of the things that we discovered was a bare footprint that was left. And that's a common report there. Uh, one of the old ghost detecting methods, and this is something I, I employed 20 years ago. You can find this in one of the Ghost Hunters guidebooks. You take, say if it's a hardwood floor, you sprinkle uh, talcum powder on it. And uh, throughout the course of the night, whatever you come back after the room has been sealed, you will find footprints if the place is haunted, supposedly. And I actually have come across seen actual footprints left in in the powder on okay. the floor. So, uh, yeah, you, but what you're dealing with is an energy. Consider me sufficiently spanked. Let's move on to some of the other uh, claims that they're making. Now, the zombie thing, we've heard of that over the course of the years, uh, you know, even in, in drama such as Romeo and Juliet, right. you know, some sort of uh, pseudo-death experienced uh, through some sort of chemical. Uh, but the other... The other uh, thing that I have a problem with is the idea of the vampire sucking one person's blood and therefore turning them into a vampire. That is not necessarily part of the vampire lore no. as it's existed. That was just one of the fears, uh, one of the, uh, I don't want to say old wives' tales, but one of the mythologies surrounding the folklore of that, vampires. That's more of a recent thing that they put in for Hollywood movies. Anybody that really knows vampire history, you didn't become a vampire just because the vampire sucked your blood. Exactly. So, you know, that that's kind of just the whole idea of, you know, I mean, I'm impressed that he was able to figure out mathematically how many vampires there'd be in the world. I mean, that's... Well, it's simple math, simple mathematic progression. Yeah, but again, we go back to the I don't do research for stories. Ah, uh, so gotcha. So that's, that's why I'm impressed. But if uh, if we further go on further down here, uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily lump vampires in as one of these pseudosciences that he talks about, such as astrology and ESP, which... We're not going to call them pseudosciences here, that's for sure. Uh, and also, what was the other one? The, oh, yes, Skeptical Inquirer. Yes, they will publish uh, his his findings, I'm sure. So. Oh, there's a shock. So, I mean, there you have it. You know, just a science bites the myth of vampires and ghosts, and the myth of vampires and ghosts bites back. <laughs> Moniz, what do you have for us? Well, what I got for you comes from NASA. Strange properties of moonlight. Uh, not so long ago, before electric light bulbs, farmers relied on moonlight to harvest autumn crops. With everything ripened at once, there was too much work to do to stop at sundown. A bright full moon, or a harvest moon, allowed work to continue into the night. The moonlight was welcome, but as any farmer can tell you, it was strange stuff. Moonlight steals color from whatever it touches. Take a rose, for instance. In the full moonlight, the flower is brightly lit and even casts a shadow, but the red is gone and replaced by shades of gray. In fact, the whole landscape is this way. It is a bit like seeing the world through an old black and white TV set. Um, moon gardens uh, were popular in the 1950s. A, moon a moonlight garden uh, 
will contain flowers of white or silver flowers that bloom at night and are both fragrant as well as vivid in the full moon. Uh, favorites include uh, four o'clocks, moonflower vines, uh, angels' trumpets, but uh, these angel trumpets are seldomly read. Uh, another interesting thing is if you stare at a granite landscape long enough, it turns blue. The best place to see this is called the uh, blue shift or uh, the punk urine shift. Um, that's named after the 19th century scientist Johannes Punkern, uh, who first described it. Uh, moonlight also will not let you read. You can open a book beneath a full moon, and at first glance, the pages seem bright enough, yet when you try to make out the words, you can't. Moreover, if you stare too long at a word, it will fade and disappear. Moonlight not only uh, blurs your vision, but also makes a little blind spot in, uh, in your eyes. Um, it's not a permanent thing, it's just an optical thing. Um, one of the interesting things is, um, why this is strange, moonlight, you have to remember, is no more exotic than sunlight reflected from uh, the dusty surface of the moon. The only difference is the intensity. Moonlight is about 400,000 times fainter than direct sunlight. Wow. All right. Uh, so what do we make of it all? The answer lies in the eye of the beholder. The human retina is the, what is responsible. The retina is kind of like an organic digital camera with two kinds of pixels, rods and cones. Cones allow us to see colors, like the red of a rose, and fine details in words and books. But they only work in bright light. After sunsets, the rods take over. So, it, it's a bunch of interesting little things that our listeners can do. Take a book out in the next full moon and try and read the page. Now, bear in mind that there are certain people that have an extra amount of rods and cones in their mm -hmm. eyes, and some people will be able to, but the average person will have a very hard time trying to read a book in moonlight and I've, or see color. As you know, I've recently uh, acquired a telescope, and I'm just fascinated with the the light that's radiated from the moon and, and just some of the old stories. Of people, you know, like you see the ring around the moon, and that means rain's coming. You know, just well, there's a scientific reason for that. That's the amount of moisture and uh, water particles in the air. But it's just these things that you don't take into account, like just how important the moon has always been to uh, mankind and, and how we perceive ourselves in the world. And you know, it's, it's the other part of our to, clock. And to but to think about how we perceive it, you know, mm. <laughs> it's 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 that I I know when I see that harvest moon, it's just there's definitely something that comes over me. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just hungry for some corn. I don't know. <laughs> Matt Costa, get weird on us. Or as the Indians call it, maize. 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 Oh. Native American, sorry. Humane agencies ban black cat adoptions. Close to Halloween, the Peninsula Humane Society and SPCA is preventing the public from adopting black cats. The fear that they will become haunted house props or targets of teen pranks and satanic rituals, which they say have been, have been confirmed by police. Commercial house, haunted houses will also pick up a cat from a city shelter for about $30 and dump it when business stops. The number of cats returned after the Halloween, Halloween holiday is high, which could be an indication of, the back, of black cat abuse. SPCA spokesperson Scott DeLucci 
said stories of black hat abuse appeared to be just tall tales and worries of mass abandonment after Halloween are equally overblown. I don't know what... I don't know that it's really based on anything except fear, he said, but they will be continuing with the restriction till November 1st. That just makes me angry. Why, because you have a black cat? I do have a black cat, and he's probably the least evil creature on Earth. That cat's cool. He's scared of his own shadow. <laughs> he's definitely not an evil creature. But he does, uh, he does look pretty badass with that spiked leather collar. <laughs> that was one of the. That was the first thing I went out and bought him. It was just a little kitten sitting in Jen's hand, and he had that little spike collar around his neck. So, anyway, that's just. Uh, maybe I'll post some pictures up uh, on SpookySouthCoast.com if I can ever get him to sit still when I bring the camera out. He's like, "What is that demon box you're bringing out in front of me?" So there you have it, the week and weird. And of course, if you'd like to share with us some week and weird stories that you find on the internet. You can go to our message board on SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the Week and Weird thread, and put the whole story there. I'll put a link to it, and if we read it, we'll let everybody know that it was you that brought it to our attention. We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast in just a few minutes. We'll talk about the haunted history of Halloween, and of course, we'll take your calls as well. Crystal Expectations is an extraordinary experience. Crystal Expectations has books, jewelry, candles, incense, oils, CDs, tarot decks, religious and fantasy statues, and cultural items from around the world. Crystal Expectations offers a wide variety of services including Reiki, Kuan Yin, Magnified Healing, and Meditation. Do you want to find out the influences in your life and what the future holds for you? Call to schedule a tarot or Hindu astrology reading. Crystal Expectations knowledgeable staff has over 40 years experience in a wide variety of spiritual disciplines. They can provide instruction in spiritual cleansing for yourself and techniques to reduce negative influences in your life. Crystal Expectations is located at 854 Brock Avenue in New Bedford, serving those interested in the paranormal and spiritual for over 18 years. 508-990-7898 or visit crystalexpectations.net. You can also email them at crystalx at verizon.net. Thirteen thirteen Mockingbird Lane. That's their address. Did you want to play the whole song? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. That's no, okay. I didn't mean to step all over your uh, your bumpers. The production work of the Silent Assassin ripping off the 1960s theme song to the Monsters. Uh, yeah, you got to play it though. It's Halloween time. It's you know? homage. It's homage. Really, and tomorrow, don't forget. Also, uh, if you have nothing better to do, as I was hoping I would, but I guess it won't be that way anymore. Uh, AMC is running a whole bunch of the classic Universal horror movies as well and uh, we're going to talk about something very interesting coming up uh, on halloween night we'll get into that in a little while but first matt costa has uh from one of our message board folks wanted to let people know about some uh, haunted attractions you can visit uh, right here in the south coast area 
Yep, there's a series of haunted yards in the Fairhaven area. All benefits go to the Shriners, uh, Shriners Association. There's one on Fort Street in Fairhaven, Holiday Drive, Oxford Street, and Bridge Street. All in Fairhaven, and there's also a Halloween parade at the o- starting at the Oxford School and going to the St. Mary's Church starting at 6 p.m. tomorrow, uh, Sunday, October 29th. So there you, there you have it. If you want to check out some uh, haunted yards, and all uh, all the proceeds go to the Shriners Foundation, which of course is is just an excellent organization, uh, really instrumental in helping uh, Carrie Holmstrom, who is a, a Dartmouth teen who uh, suffered some burns in a, in a car accident. So uh, you definitely want to support the Shriners, and of course it's you know it's local. It's a chance to get out and, and enjoy what it is that people like to do for Halloween. And they have cool hats. Yeah, they do. They have the the, the fezes. And uh, if you uh, want to find out more about that, well, what, what I'll do is I'll post that up on the website uh, either when I get home or early tomorrow morning so you can check all that stuff out as well. So why don't we go to the phones, to this caller that's been kind enough to sit and wait to join us. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. If you'd like to make a call, please. Oh, I know that lady. She calls me all the time. <laughs> oh, she always bothers me. There, I hung up on you. Stop calling me here. Oh, it's really embarrassing. Like when when my wife answers the phone, and she calls. All right, those crazy fans. <laughs> yeah, what can we say? So yeah, we did uh, we did uh, talk about it uh, a few seconds ago. But uh, on Halloween night, if you've got nothing else to do for five hours, five hours or six? I believe it's five. Yeah. Five hours. No, seriously, this is going to be incredibly cool. I think. I mean. When I first uh, found out about it, I thought it was just one of the craziest things I ever heard of. Ghost Hunters Taps is going to be doing a live investigation of the Stanley Hotel, the the hotel from The Shining. You saw that episode last season where they went and visited the Stanley and some really weird stuff happened. They're going to do an all-night-long live investigation of the Stanley on the Sci-Fi Channel beginning at 11 p.m. Tuesday night. So you can... Watch the entire investigation start to finish. I'm sure they'll have, uh, you know, uh, different groups going through at different times, uh, but they'll have cameras following them as, as well as I don't know how they will also be interactive online. Will it? Yes. Yeah. How is how is that going to work? Um, there is what they got termed a panic button. If you think you've seen something, you make a click into it, and it'll register your uh, spot where you thought you saw something. I believe you're able to. So, uh, uh, like, type something online, what you thought you saw and what happened. So, es- essentially, you're reviewing the evidence as, as they're it, gathering it. You got it. That is incredible. That is awesome. And, uh, and of course, you know, you were you were speaking uh, with one of the members of TAPS uh, earlier today. And, Correct. And what is their plan in terms of reviewing the evidence themselves? Are they going to depend solely on the viewers to do so online, or are they going to actually go over all this at a later point and revisit it? I would have to defer that to them. I didn't get permission to actually really talk about it. They, okay. You, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He always knows the inside story and never shares. You think <laughs> It's not just that he doesn't share it with the spooky South Coast audience. He doesn't tell us either when we go off the air. That's just the kind of guy he is. No, I'm kidding. But, yeah, it's going to be really cool. I'm I'm very interested in finding out, you know, how it's going to work in terms of the review process and how they're going to revisit this later on. Maybe it's a, a you know web-only type of thing, but... Uh, I'd just be interested in seeing because and to involve the viewers like that, that is outstanding. Uh, the only thing I worry about is 
they're going to have every little oh, yeah. morons clicking every couple of seconds. Right. So, All right. Now let's try going back to the phones if I didn't talk too long again. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Good. Uh, I was listening to your first hour, and I was reminded of a story I heard uh, a long time ago in the summer of 68. I was floating around on a helicopter ship in the Caribbean, and we had an interesting crew that worked with us, and during that time, uh, believe it or not, we had a lot of downtime, especially in the evening if we were out to sea, and we'd meet in this area that we worked out of, and we had this one staff sergeant that had more stories and Curtis had liver pills. He had, <laughs> seems like he had been everywhere, he had done everything, but he told a story, and as I remember it, back over those years, it was a set of train tracks, I want to say in North Carolina, and I want to say in the Wilmington area, but it was somewhere down there that it had happened <clears throat> years ago when they used to have someone that walked the tracks with a lantern, and it was probably kerosene or something like that, and somehow they would swing the, the light back and forth, and one night, the person that was doing it got killed. And every so often, periodically, people would be out in that area, and they would see this lantern coming down the tracks. And it was to the such, such an extent, if you were standing there, and it came by... And it happened to hit you, it would knock you over. Wow. Uh, and I want to say, afterwards, I heard that story again somewhere else from a different source. Uh, who knows? But like I said, this this character had some interesting stories. And back then, I, I want to say in my evolution of the occult, the paranormal, the anything that was outside of the ordinary started in sometime in the early 70s. I remember reading one particular book that set me off that that just started a whole series of things. But just all of a sudden tonight... Do you, do you remember to, the title of that book? Yeah, it was The 10th the, uh, Beyond by Lobsang Rampa. All right, we'll have to check that out. And it was he was a Tibetan Lama, and and if he wrote 10 or 15 books. What an, what an interesting character. He had, he had his... According to the story, at seven years old, he was put in a monastery. He had incredible uh, second sight. But he told of all the occult things that the Tibetans did, and I had never heard of these in my life. And it's like, wow. It's like I just, I just knew they were true. I just believed it. But I had forgotten that summer of 68, the things we talked about, and there was a whole gamut of things. And back then, none of this was in vogue. I mean, you were, like, really weird or really strange to come across any of this stuff. I mean, you still are today to some people, but it's it's much more... It's, I mean, with the Internet, uh, with some of the, the, the History Channel, the Discovery Channel, I mean, there's stuff all around. Well, now there's definitely a community that's built up uh, who aren't afraid to share this information amongst themselves. And, you know, then there's shows such as ours. You know, there's tons of these right. shows that try to act as the, you know, the outlet for that. It's become well, a cottage industry. Exactly. I mean, you talk about the, the psychic fear tomorrow. I mean, you can go, you can find places down the Cape. You can find places all around today that will do, do all those kind of things that, that not a whole long, long time ago they were scorned. And, I mean, in this area, how many, how many years ago was it up in, in Salem they burned witches? Yeah, exactly. You know what? And 300. They, you know, and, and they, 
one of my sources somewhere along the line said, uh, I think he w- it was in astrology, and he did a, a an esoteric astrology course that just, I, I don't profess to be a, an astrologer, but I've done a lot of my own work with it and study and for my own purposes. And he, it, there were, I think there were 13 tapes. Uh, it was pretty extensive. Mm-hmm. And he had done a tremendous amount of study. He had studied Western. He, he could do Jyotish. I mean, he just was able to dig out things. Anyways, my point is, he said, a lot of people died at the stake with this information and knowledge in Western astrology over the years. And I thought, oh, my God. It's like, you know what? He's right. That that just Jyotish, uh, which is from India, is based on a pole star that was like 12,000 years ago. So there's this 12,000... Yeah, unbroken lineage of stuff that's been passed down, but Western astrology is just, it's who knows what. One of the things he said that they knew somewhere, one, one system used, I think, the moon instead of the sun, and there were 26 houses, but they have no clue how they did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said there was evidence dug up in Greece of a system 150,000 years ago that used all the constellations. You know, uh, I don't know if you've been to Crystal Expectations, but uh, Gary Gomes, uh, one of the owners there, is actually well-versed and trained in uh, Hindu and different Eastern astrologies. I heard, well, I heard that the advertisement, and they mentioned the Hindu, and I didn't, I didn't know that, I didn't realize that. Oh yeah, he's uh, he's uh, very, you know, well, uh, I forget the actual name. He's been doing it over 20 years. Yeah. Really, yeah. he's he's probably I uh, there's I mean numerous different disciplines uh, that he's familiar with and that he can speak on and and point people in the direction of. But I know the the Hindu readings are a, a majority of what he does and what he focuses on. I uh, over the years, some of the one one of the many different jobs I've done was I had uh, hindsight. 2020, in retrospect, I had good fortune to work for the TM movement in Lancaster, Mass., over several times. They have a, a big estate up there. It's just like it's like sacred space. And I, I was never a follower, but I, on some level I bought into what they did because I kept going back. I'd work there a while, and I'd go back again, and I'd go back again, and it ended up being, I don't know how long it was in months, but it was, was quite a while, but it was over five different times. But they they had people that did Jyotish and, and were into that. And I get to, you know, to talk to some of the people and, and hear some of it and, and, you know, and learned a lot from them. But it's, like I said, it's, you can't, you can't beat how far it goes, you can't beat the history of it and how far it goes back. But I, I guess sidetracked a little, but I wanted to say that what's a, what really jumped out me at me just tonight was in 1968, some of those things we talked about was really a unique group. I mean, that's a long time ago. I forgot a whole lot of things, but I just, that, that energy around it, in, in the sense that I get listening to your program, I got back then. It was like this taste. It's like a fine wine or a fine food. Once you get the taste, if you like it, you, you know what? It, it comes back and it's there. Well, we hope that you keep taking a sip every week with us. <laughs> well, this is my first venture. I, uh, I don't know. It was about 20 minutes after 10. You would, you had just started the interview and I, I finally got to it, uh, and I've been waiting for a while, a few weeks, because of the baseball games and all. All, but uh, yeah, I, I enjoy this. 
Well, thank you. We should be here every week now until, I don't know, I think the uh, NCAA playoffs or whatever else comes and bumps us off next. But uh, And we will definitely be here next week talking UFOs with Stan Gordon. So Decent. Join us then. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. That is, uh, it's, it's always good, too, when, when people listen for the first time and they can feel comfortable enough to call in and, and share in the discussion with us because, uh, unfortunately, you know, too many people are still living under the veil uh, of the fact that it's not acceptable to talk about the paranormal or just different unexplained phenomena or unexplained. I mean, you hear the caller and he's talking about how this stuff goes back for so many years. Well, there's a reason why. You know, yeah. it works because people have realized that it's it is true, and that it is something that is worth believing in. I mean, let's look uh, as as we wanted to touch upon. You know, just the history of the Halloween holiday. I mean, there's a reason why it's been celebrated through the years. It's not just you know kids running around in costumes collecting candy. That's just a modernized version of some of the various uh, historical aspects of Halloween. Um, Matt Moniz, in your many different uh, studies and research, you know, why don't you just, I don't even know where to begin because it's, because <laughs> it's the, all right, it, I it's, do. The, the, the holiday means different things to different groups and different uh, belief systems. The history of Halloween. Well, uh, most people may not know this, but it's, I believe, the oldest holiday uh, that man has. It, that and also with the uh, and Dick, summer and winter solstice and Dick Clark's birthday. Yeah, that too. Uh, it goes it goes back to early neo neo pagan and uh, early Paleolithic times. Uh, it's it's um it has to do with harvest. It was the most important time in for early agrarian civilizations because they had to acquire their harvest to put in their larders to make it through the winter. Uh, this is why this uh, festival, and it was a festival, because after all of the harvests were done, and, and they would hold these feasts, because they weren't going to have anything like this again until the following spring, when uh, they were able to start their crops again. Uh this goes back, and they've have evidence of this easily going back almost twenty thousand years ago. In some in some cases, uh, it has many different names in various parts of the world, but it is uh, known and celebrated. I I can give you various names of what they call it here and there, but well, why don't you for the for the listeners? Now you're saying twenty thousand years ago, so just uh, I'm talking I'm talking historically as. Uh, with uh, ancient calendars that they're able to uh, decipher from rock rock carvings and other uh, other artifacts. Let, for those who can't maybe do the math so quick in their head, let's point out you were talking about eighteen thousand years before you know the predominant religion of today was Correct. even thought of. So Correct. Uh, you know, some of the uh, early uh, Celts. Are responsible for what we have today in terms of the traditions of Halloween, or what they knew. A lot of people call it Samhain, but the actual pronunciation is Samhain. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, and that would be. I, I've seen Samhain spelled phonetically as it sounds, but is, would that be how you would pronounce the Samhain spelling? Correct, because it's Gaelic. Correct. Okay. Yeah, it's more. It's more of a um, a dialect. Uh, 
a lot of words like that. You exactly do, they're said differently. Than Anybody that's ever known a girl named Siobhan, <laughs> you know, you can. It's spelled Sioban. <laughs> so they, just okay. as, just a side note. All right, uh, and Samhain is also known as uh, Hallowtide or the Feast of the Dead. Uh, it's got many other names. Um, if you go back to uh, Scottish times, Hallowtide or the Feast of uh, All Sola or uh, Sam Fuhn at the end of summer. Um, now, they had their various deities that were associated with... Um, in Celtic lore, uh, the gods of the dead, uh, Gwen, uh, Apunud, as well as uh, for the British and well, for British and Welsh, should be Arawan. These were the um, gods of the fe- of the harvest and stuff like that. And so, a lot of these ceremonies and and what what they did was to pay homage pay- to these gods. Correct. And uh, kind of like an appeasement, you know, it's like. It's, it, uh, the sacrifice of that time of year, you know, it's we are thankful for this bountiful harvest, and right, you know, we the sacrifice wasn't so much, you know, because it's all blood and you know, no, I don't of, mean I don't mean sacrifice like that, but I mean uh, I mean they did do a blood you know, like, sacrifice, like, like, like but burnt the blood, offerings, you know, th- that's where you get the origins of the burnt offerings. Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> that that's actually what it comes from. Uh, what they would do is they would offer up a portion of what they prepared for mm-hmm. this feast. To the gods and thanks for allowing them to have the bounty that they re- reaped. And you know that sounds crazy to modern people. That's just totally crazy. Except until you go into one of these, you know, uh, these Chinese restaurants that we have around here, and you see that they still practice that same thing. Right. The, there's versions of that are exactly. You can find that in any and every. Uh, I know I get a flack from a lot of religious groups about this, but whether they like it or not, uh, their origins come from pagan beliefs. Of course. They, they, all, they all share these traits. They all take little parts from them. And, and even in you know modern Catholicism and Christianity, there's similar, quote-unquote, sacrifices. You know, it, just because you're not you know offering up a blood sacrifice or even in some you know, when you... Uh, commit yourself uh, when you have your communion. You know that's you're sacrificing yourself to. The, you're, you're giving yourself. You know what I mean. You're giving in recognition of what you are receiving. Oh, the various fasts that are held by every religion. Every religion has a fast. So, so what I want to know is where did the candy come in? Uh, candy came in a little later on. Um, like I said, the, these things actually go back to uh, even early um, Roman times. Uh, the uh, bef- before Rome uh, was a pretty intellectual place. Mm-hmm. They incorporated every religion that they came across into their culture, uh, which is a little bit different than what we have today, which is more exclusionary. Yes, uh, they they incorporated all of these other uh, religions into them. Uh, the Romans, when they conquered the the Celts in the first century. Uh, part of their festivals was uh, for a little and Pomona, actually, and those were the traditions where uh, Pomona was the uh, harvest festival for the goddess of fruit, in particular apples. That's where we get the candied apples from. Uh, I used to get mine from the old lady on the street. My mom told me not to eat them. 
Well, she said there were razor blades in them. Uh, that's another old. I mean, I'm sure stuff like that did happen on rare, isolated occasions. But and another myth and folklore. And we did that urban show already. Legend. We did yeah, that show. We already went down that road. And while we're touching on the history of Halloween, uh, Matt Costa offers up the crypto creature of the month every month on the SpookySouthCoast.com message board. And this month, of course, appropriately, yeah. is the jack o' lantern. It's the folklore jack o' lantern. Yep. It's a. Uh, Folklore started in Ireland, as most of the, most of the these Halloween uh, legends come from. It started out as this guy named Jack, or uh, they called him Stingy Jack, also. Yeah. Some of them, and I guess he was like this mean, uh, kind of trickster drunk guy, who was one day coming home from the pub, and ran into the devil. And the devil and he and the devil were talking under an apple tree, and Jack wanted an apple at the top of the tree. So he made a deal with the devil that if um, the devil could get this apple from the top of the tree, he would give up his soul to the devil. So as the the devil went up to get the apple, Jack then carved a cross in the bark of the tree, trapping the devil at the top of the tree. So then he made another bargain with the devil that he wouldn't let him down until he promised that he would never take his soul ever again. His soul so, or any soul? Or Jack's soul. Okay. So the devil could never take his soul. So after he let after he let the devil down from the tree, um, Jack, years later, passed on, went to heaven, and after all the mean things that he did, he could not go to heaven. <laughs> So then he went to hell and was like, hey, devil, what's up? <laughs> and the devil, for once in his life, held up on his promise and uh, would not allow Jack into hell either. So Jack was kind of stuck in limbo. But I guess the devil had a warm spot in his heart. Does the, the, does the devil have a heart? I don't know. Well, if it was, it would be warm because it's pretty It's where the haunting is, right? Well, he gave him a fiery ember that will burn eternally um, so Jack could see his way wandering around limbo. And Jack could not carry it in his hands, so he carved out a turnip, Mm -hmm. and he carried that, used that as a lantern. That's where the Jack Lantern comes from. I would assume Jack of the Lantern is what, what they essentially took it from, so... So there you have it, the haunted history of Halloween. So keep that in mind when you're out poking around on Tuesday night. Uh, keep watching for Jack and his lantern. So that will do it for this week's edition of Spooky South Coast. Remember, we will be back here live on WBSM next Saturday night when we will talk to Stan Gordon about UFOs and Bigfoot and all kinds of things related to that. And also Chris Pittman, the Bridgewater Triangle uh Historian will be with us as well if you want to talk to him as well. So for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular. And remember, if you missed any of the shows from when we were off the air, just go to SpookySouthCoast.com or iTunes or any of those sites, and you can download them there. So stay spooktacular. Have a happy Halloween, everybody. Stay safe. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, 
In many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Look, I know the supernatural is something that is...